there is a freedom in knowing you cannot predict. Okay. There's no, no part of what's ahead of you is super clear right now. And I think that's by design. Hi everyone. I'm Annika and this is the Tried and Truth Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Tried and Truth Podcast. Could not be more excited to share today's conversation with you because wherever you're listening from today, you're going to find yourself laughing, smiling, and people around you are going to ask you questions. And you're welcome for that because it is just a an encouragement-filled, uh, laughter-filled conversation. So whether you are an aspiring writer or whether you feel like you don't quite have a plan right now or perhaps you just love a good story, this conversation is the one for you. We are joined by the incredible Kim Stewart. She is the author of eight novels. She's an executive writing coach alongside Bob Goff, and she hosts and co-hosts two incredible podcasts. I cannot wait for you to take a listen to how Kim has discovered her writing journey by accident and all that has come from that. So take a listen. Kim Stewart, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Oh, such a joy to be here, Annika. Thank you for asking me. This is so fun. I feel like anytime I see you or I'm around you, it's just, I just want to smile and laugh. And so oh, how great that we get to share smiles and laughs with people today. Oh, that's <laughs> so good. Do you want to just call my teenagers and remind <laughs> them that I'm super funny to other people? <laughs> know that they feel quite the same about every time being around me smiling and laughing, but it's okay. Everyone has their role in my life. So that's right. That's right. They will, they will come around. It will all full circle. Monday. One day. One day. Yes. Full circle. Well, I'm so glad you're here. I know you're doing a million things and you have done a million things. And so I want us to just dive kind of right into a little bit about your story. Kind of tell us where you've been, how you got into the writer's journey and some of the amazing things that that you've written. I think let's just let's just start there and let's invite people into your story for a minute. Okay. Well, it was all an accident. Every single bit of it. Which is even better. <laughs> I did not go to school for this. Um, I did not mean to become a writer or a writing coach or even a podcaster or any of the other stuff I'm doing right now. I was a Spanish and ESL teacher out of college and I loved it. I loved my work. Um, I think the teaching piece has come back and is infused in other parts of my work now. So we can talk about that because- Ah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Right. Like a lot of, I think a lot of the things that felt disparate to me are now all clicking and I'm old, I'm 47. So it took a while for all of those things to kind of hum together. But for our listeners who are thinking now, how do I get to B after A, it might take to letter K, little letter M and that's okay because it enriches your work. Um, so I had a circuitous route to get to where I am. Um, I always loved writing. I loved reading really more than writing. I did not grow up in, um, I grew up in a very creative household. So my mom is a professional violinist. So we had a lot of music in the home, um, a lot of license for creative pursuits, but I'm a firstborn female. And so there was no way I would, I mean, I had bills. Okay. So if someone would have said to me, oh, you know, you really enjoy writing. Maybe you should do that for a job. I would have said, what even is that? I didn't know anyone who did that for a job. And so um, a little bit by default, but really also just by vocation, I loved teaching. I loved my students and that's where I headed. And so I did that for a while. We, Mark and I, my husband, Mark and I lived all over um, Costa Rica, Chicago, Minneapolis, Iowa City, Lincoln, Nebraska, a lot of grad school things. Um, he went to dental school, so that took roughly 8,000 years. And I had, you know, three different jobs at any given time trying to help us get through that piece. And so when we started having kids, I had my daughter, Anna, who is now um, in college. I was home with her. That was a decision I felt really good about. The byproduct of that, I didn't feel as good about. So I didn't, I went from a very social environment to just Anna and me. And she was lovely. Uh, actually, she she was not eating <laughs> and would cry a lot <laughs> and took a while to learn how to sleep. So let's <laughs> not paint the prettiest picture for that time in my life, Annika. But <laughs> no, I knew I loved that. I knew I knew for sure that's where I wanted to be. And also it was hard. And it was different and a little disorienting, 
right? I think we all go through times where even when we know it's the right thing, it can still be really the hard thing. And so my reaction to being at home with so many diapers, just so many, was to wait for my husband when he would come home at night at the front door. I, I remember vividly, remember when your kids were super little and the moment that you could do the tag out? Was yes, like, oh. 100%. Okay. <laughs> so that was totally for me, that was the like the lighthouse I was rowing toward. <laughs> so, my, so Mark would come home. I would hand off Anna and pepper him with questions. And they were not super interesting questions. They were, this was the line of reasoning. Hey, can you tell me what you said today and all the things that other people said to you? And will you tell me every detail of every conversation? And can you use a lot of long words that don't end in like e poopy, potty, pee pee? And I just want you to know, he was in an orthodontic residency. The conversations he was having were so dumb. They were not interesting. And I still wanted all of it. I was like, so what happened when you talked about his gingiva? <laughs> Mark would kind of, Mark looked alarmed because I was a different woman. This is not the woman he married. And so the writing came out of that. The writing came out of those moments and, and him saying to me, so you've always, let's, let's talk about a hobby you've always really been interested in writing. Why don't you, you know, so lugs out this old cranky laptop. And I just started during nap time, just plunking out words, no idea what I was doing, just getting them out there, putting them out into this file that no one would ever see. And I wrote with total freedom because I just assumed no one would ever see it. It was totally cathartic and therapeutic for me. Um, when I mentioned to my mom that I was doing this, um, that's when it all just went completely haywire because she's such a cheerleader for me that she ended up, um, making a way for me to get to, she, for my Christmas present that year, she bought a writer's workshop for me down in North Carolina wow. and the plane ticket. And I opened that box at Christmas and started to cry. I could definitely cry now because that was such a moment of feeling totally and completely seen by another woman that I so admired. And she had figured out how to balance her own crazy dream. Who wants to be a, who grows up in a town of like a thousand people and decides I really want to be a professional violinist. I mean, she did it and figured it out with our family for so many years. And so I, she uniquely had a voice in that moment. Um, and I owe her still because I never would have said it out loud for myself. Gosh, I can relate to so many pieces in your story. I love this. And I love the freedom in not having the plan. I think especially as firstborn women, <laughs> we like to have the plan. And the plan when you don't even know what you want to plan is really hard to plan. Right? And I love that it was just like all these small and yet mighty steps along the way that started to open ideas or opportunities or moments or even just connection points. I mean, it's like put put out there in the world what it is you want to do. You shared it with someone so close to you who saw you and knew there's more. There's more here. Okay. So then you went on to write. Yeah. So I go to this <laughs> conference. I know no one, my mother, who I think email was new. Uh, it has been a lot of years. It was, uh, about 17 years ago. And so for my mother, it was new. And she, the reason she, she chose this conference again, Annika, I hadn't even Googled <laughs> what is a writing conference? I had no idea. And so she found this writer. She read a novel um, and loved it. It was by a guy named Ray Blackston. Shout out to Ray, who was just so kind to me. And he posted on his website, I'm going to be at this conference. So that was our one link. So there was this time during the conference where you could set up there were chairs set around the perimeter of this room and you could set up times for 15 minute increments with an editor, a publisher, an agent, an author. I knew one person. So I go up to Ray's table. <laughs> I just think of this now. And he was so kind. Most people have a pitch. Most people have a clue. I did not. So I give him a couple pages. You know, my mom emailed you. <laughs> I hand him these pages and he reads a little bit and he, his head snaps up and he says, come with me. And so I 
get up and I think, well, this is an adventure. We walk to the other side of the room and he introduces me to the woman who eventually acquired my first two books. Oh my um, goodness. She was an editor at Nav Press. Her name is Andrea and she is a delight. She continues to be a delight to me. Um, she's actually now my agent. So she's transitioning out of publishing into agenting. We've known each other the entire time. Um, and just again, when you say small but mighty, we don't need to, here's the fallacy. There is a myth that in order for you to get to where you are wired to be, into the space where God has crafted for you, you need to have a 20-point plan. You need to have a pitch deck. You need to have a clear idea of how to get there. And if you don't, you should stay where you are and keep planning until it becomes clear. I think we should just shove that entire myth to the side and pat it on its head and walk away. Because first of all, that never happens. And second of all, there is a freedom in knowing you cannot predict, okay? There's no, no part of what's ahead of you um, is super clear right now. And I think that's by design. I mean, I'm a person of faith. And so absolutely at the root of how I approach this and approach my life has to be grounded in, I am not the master of the universe. I'm not even close. And when I start thinking that I'm the one pulling the puppet strings or it's all up to me to get it right and then it will work well, nothing beautiful comes from that. And we know that in other spheres, right? I know that in my parenting, for example, I'm positive that I am not in charge of my children. I have, you know, three teenagers and I'm positive that they, that I want for them their own agency and that I want for them this beautiful walk with Jesus on their own. When I get hung up is when I think, oh, well, really, I'm the one who should be controlling the outcome here. That's not only ridiculous, it's actually just an imprisonment. So I think the same has to do with whatever creative pursuit or other, whatever work you are um, kind of moving into. You can just let your shoulders relax in this, right? Like you don't need a 20 point plan. And even if you could concoct one, it's probably a little lamer than the one that will end up surfacing. So, so these true. are hard one words. I'm just telling you, Monica, like I am, I love lists. I love checklists. I'm the type of person who writes a list. And then if I miss something that I've already done, I will write it down just so I can check it. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm in. I need to visually see it marked through that I, I did this just in yes. case self, you needed to be reminded you did something very efficient and productive. Oh, so satisfying. <laughs> but life doesn't always work like that. So. That's so good though. I think that we do box in and I always try to think of like this visual of this box around our lives that we just kind of got to get an eraser and start erasing because we limit ourselves to even knowing or thinking. And when you're talking about, you know, an unlimited God. And so I think we have this limited mindset and I don't know, I have to visually tell myself, erase those lines and just kind of like what you did. You just took the next step and had the one person, one conversation, wrote the one or two pages for one or two hours, one or two times yeah. that just began to accumulate into something so incredible that like you said, you wouldn't have thought of or planned when you were in school. I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would love to write books and have a podcast and coach people on writing. <laughs> I just, yeah. I love that. It's, oh, I, I love yes. the eraser. I'm going to use that. Yes. Just erase those lines, erase the lines and just allow it to just, like you said, the freedom mm -hmm. there's, there is freedom in the unknown, but I think we feel like there is not freedom because we can't control, but yet there is, there's something so freeing just about letting go and imagining what can be and those possibilities. So I love seeing the parts of your story come together. So now how many books are we later? I have eight. Seven, eight. Okay. Eight. And there's one on contract that will come out in a million years because traditional <laughs> publishing is so slow. I will be elderly. Um, but yeah, so eight and birthing nine. So eight and birthing nine. Okay. So in the course of writing eight books, like how do you start a new one? How do you, how do you stay inspired to keep writing? Well, I have notebooks everywhere. I'm super irritating to my whole family because I don't <laughs> seem to be able to do just one journal. 
Um, I did panic last week because my favorite one that I've been keeping for a very long time went MIA and I, it was a point of prayer. I, I need that book. I really, I like, I get anxiety talking about this because there are so many things in there that are nowhere else. And I found it. Praise God. So some of them have a special, more special place than others. I keep things I keep by my bed, in my phone, physical copies, um, in a few different places, just because I've learned that I don't have the luxury of, of having muse hour where I sit and think for an hour about what's next. Um, my life is full just like yours and just like our listeners. And so if I wait for the muse to hit or I wait for inspiration to fall or the roaring fire (laughs) and the ascot and sherry to swirl, it will never happen. So I've gotten better at, you know, for some reason when I'm doing dishes, I tend to really work out some plot points, um, or some ideas for my next, my next chapter or paragraph or whatever. So I try to keep things close that um, are interesting to me. I have ongoing files in my computer of things that pique my interest. So some of those things will end up in books. Some of them will never be seen outside the moment that I type them in. Um, and it takes a while. Um, it takes a while and that kind of the discipline of writing to try to pick through which ones win and which are just kind of for me. Um, but yeah, their inspiration is I hate to sound so much like a Hallmark card, but it really is everywhere. I think if your eyes are wide open, you're going to see some really cool stuff. You'll also see disturbing stuff and painful stuff and even wounding stuff. All of that can make for really good writing. Um, The key is not to do too much editing before you get that first rough draft on paper, because sometimes we're not the best judges of what will stick. That's a really good point. I think overthinking on both sides of that. I think we overthink and so we don't, we miss all the inspiration that's around us because we're, we're thinking, we're thinking too much and our mind is so distracted. And then I think in that process for anyone who is writing or exploring a creative endeavor, whatever that might be, we, we stop, we stop when we start to rationalize and we, we kind of end our ideation phase. We end that ability to think possibilities or desires, dreams, whatever that is, because it doesn't make sense. So I'm just going to stop there and we don't allow it to just flow and happen. Right. Yeah. There's such, there's a lot of really beautiful research about when the brain does its best work. And typically it's not when we're forcing the brain to do its best work. Typically that happens when we're at rest or playing or doing something adjacent to the actual work. Um, a lot of really good stuff comes out of those almost dormant times. And so it feels in our culture, right? Especially we are so pushed to move and move and move and go and go and go and check the boxes that I mentioned. And actually a lot of what happens in a creative pursuit happens off the page, right? Or it happens away from your laptop or away from the mic. And so um, giving yourself the freedom to do that and to live a full life so that your writing is better, your music is better, your um, whatever you are pouring yourself into that gets richer and fuller. Um, I would say that in addition to letting that run its course and and allowing yourself that freedom, there is, I mean, I don't mean to be preachy, but there is also, I think, a responsibility of the artist or the writer or the creative um, or whatever work your work, you know, whatever sphere. I think there is a beautiful responsibility of getting better, right? So really putting your nose down and learning about your craft and figuring out, well, why does this work and why doesn't this work? You know, when you start writing, for example, part of your job, I think part of our job is to read like a writer. So it will ruin some books for you, right? Some books that you probably could have just skated through. Now you are irritating to yourself (laughs) because in chapter four, you're already thinking this is the wrong pacing. The dialogue's horrible. Or if it's a nonfiction book, you know, where's the momentum? Where are we going? Where's the central argument? Um, So it does ruin some of your consumption of art, but I think that's part of it too. I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think we are well served to tell folks or to even model for folks, just let it go, baby, and see what happens. I mean, there is a certain amount of that, but also there's just, just like this beautiful, joyful undercurrent of getting better at something, right? Really, really working and putting your nose down and coming up from for air and thinking, 
that's better than it was last week. So it's like this kind of dance that we do. The freedom of letting your brain play and getting that rough draft down and also keeping one eyeball on what's really working, what's going well. How can I make this tighter, more, more engaging, warmer? How can I really put flesh and bones on this idea? Um, and when all those things are clicking, the freedom and the discipline, you're off to the races. A little bit of both. Yes, it's, it's, it is tough. Mm-hmm. It is tough because you think in order to to hone my craft or to get better at it, I have to obsess about it. I have to be immersed in it. And I think it's that healthy place of knowing when to kind of step aside, right. step out of, do something completely different to be able to get back in and start with fresh ideas, fresh perspective. And yeah. Yeah. And maybe giving yourself freedom to have seasons, right? So there's the rough draft season. There's the first take season. There's the first attempt season and just being able to say, yeah, this is number one, right? We're, we're, there's no judgment here. Silence that inner editor. And then moving along the way, you know, you, you don't really want your um, cardiothoracic surgeon to be in the exploratory phase, right? You don't want that person to be like, I don't know, I'm just trying it out. You know, it's just rough draft. Just going to see what happens. That's when we want it to be really, really well. Sure. <laughs> Right. So when you have the barcode on your product, on your book, or your, on your song, then it's time, right? Then it, then it's we want time. you to go a little bit detail-oriented. But first take, no, play. See what happens. Love that. So have you had a favorite book that you've written so far? Just one that has fed you just oh, so wow. much. That's kind of like asking if I have a favorite child. So... <laughs> Uh, they are all your favorites, but really, do you have a favorite? (laughs) They're all hard one. And they were all written in such different times of my life. My first book ended up as a trilogy and I, I had to reread those not too long ago to release second editions. And I was kind of cringing and dreading it because I thought, oh, I bet I'm going to read this and just not even enjoy it because I'll be so critical of myself and what I know now that I didn't know then. And it was a delightful experience. It was kind of like reading my journals, only fake so people. Sweet. Um, so I think every every stop along the way has had its own really sweet parts and hard parts, right? Some of the scenes I read, I think, oh gosh, yep, I'm remembering what was happening when I was writing that. So um, most recently, probably my favorite would be Sugar. It's a novel about, I say it's Sleepless in Seattle meets the Food Network. So it's a little bit of... Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, chemistry and foodie culture. So that was really fun. That's probably my most recent fave. Oh, so fun. How do you know when a book is finished? How, when you're, you're writing, how do you say, okay, this, this love story is done. Well, I'm still learning that. I mean, the, the fiction piece actually is, um, there are beats that we come to expect in a really great story. And so they're fairly, um, you know, they're very well documented. Mm -hmm. We have observed these things over and over in the stories that we love. And so I do a lot of thinking about all of those things before I even start. So I'm pretty sure that I know when the end of a novel is my current book is nonfiction and that's been a different ride because I'm writing it, um, largely about the theme of grace and we don't have enough words for the idea of grace. And so, um, that's kind of what we were talking about before getting better and better at an economy of words, right? Really packing the power into fewer and fewer words and letting them stand alone. As far as the editorial phase goes, I think part of more time in the chair and kind of, um, getting used to the rhythm of writing and the rhythm, rhythm of your, you know, your voice and what you want to say, there comes a time in the editorial phase where that kicks in and you know um, whether or not you admit it is a different idea, but you have to come to a point where you say, this is the book I can write now. This is the best book I can write today. And I'm done. Um, if you're working with a house, they help you on that schedule, right? <laughs> like, yes. Printing, so stop <laughs> editing. Um, but in general, I think that's a probably a good word for me in other parts of my life too. Like sometimes you just, this is, this is it. This is, this is where I am today. Is this the book that I would write in 10 years? Absolutely not. But today, this is the best I can do. And feeling good about that and feeling, you know, clinking those champagne glasses that you finished it. And that's okay. I don't, I think I work with a lot of folks who are so 
um, concerned about perfection and so concerned about, you know, this is my magnum opus. I have to get it right. And what happens is you kind of tighten up. You know, it's probably like moving your body when you're exercising. You know, the worst thing you can do is to become, you know, too still or to, to clench your muscles or to like, you can hurt yourself if you're too tight. And I think that's probably true for writing as well. Like you, this is not your magnum opus because you're not dead yet. And so this is the book for this year. And then you'll know more stuff next year, but I've met a sad number of people who have been working on the same project for 15 years. Um, and then it's just an animal unto itself. I mean, then it becomes something that's you know, an elephant, you kind of want to walk around in the middle of the room, just get that baby out. It is time. It, the due date has passed. Labor <laughs> pains are over. <laughs> Go. You know, we can really get in our own way with that. It's so interesting to hear about people, like you just said, 15 years going around this, this same idea. And I think it is that balance between waiting a season out, kind of trying something out, but also getting to a place where you can just release. Yes release the best that is the best for what today is right. knowing that tomorrow might be something different. But that idea that I think so many people think that perfectionism is a strength or being detail oriented is a strength or whatever that, you know, strength is, but I think it can be to a fault to where it actually becomes your greatest enemy. And the thing that is in the way between what you have to offer and what the world gets to receive. I don't know. I think it's absolutely. Wow. If it's paralyzing you or not allowing the period just to go to the end of the sentence for this, then it's time. You know, if you're, if you are working on a project that is so you are dreading it, <laughs> right? Like it, all that first love feeling in the first bit, that's so fun. I know that wanes, right? Um, the middle's always hard, but if you are kind of giving your project the side eye, um, it's probably time to either release it or abandon it for a good long season. That's an, in my experience, that's the best way to go. Like there has to be at least some little shred of joy still. Um, and if not come back to it, man, or just know this one's for my laptop. This is for when I go to Jesus and some great grandchild finds a copy fun. And that's good. And move on because you're not doing anybody any favors and all the people in your house hate your project. So get it out there. Move on. That is such good encouragement. That is such good encouragement. There is a time and a place for the project. It's a pregnancy. Time to go. There it's is time to go. This. Yes. Yes. That baby is 8,000 pounds. It is time. You know, he's paying his own taxes. It's time to get him out. But of even the just to think about how many other books or projects or ideas or opportunities you could have pursued, but your mind was so consumed totally. by this idea of creating something so perfect, but yet something so perfect is also not real. It doesn't exist. Which is funny because I think for real is the name of your podcast. I want to talk about that for a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about that because I, I just, I love the idea of just being real and having honest conversations, which I think is, you know, kind of what you and I love to, to do on our, our podcast. And so I know you get to have a lot of conversations with, with writers, with authors, I mean, all artists, musicians, all kinds of people that you get to encounter in, in your work, whether it's through the podcast, daily life, fun life, all the things. Do you feel like there's been just some revelations in, in working with those individuals or having those conversations that, um, that you've had any just really encouraging tidbits or moments of wisdom that you've had? Every conversation, I'm sure you feel the same way. Anka. Yes. Like every time we get to do this, it's just fascinating to pick someone else's brain. Um, I mean, I'm holding back right now because you're asking me the questions, but really I want to ask you the questions. <laughs> I know that's not how it works. So I'm trying to play nice. Um, but I love it. I am an endlessly curious person. And so such a great gift to have. I think for anyone listening, just invite yourself to a life of curiosity. There is so much abundance when you kind of take the tunnel vision off of all your thoughts and everything happening and just start living in curiosity. Ask questions about people and just, oh, it's so life-giving. Mm -hmm. No, that's so true. I think part of the reason that I've loved for real, we're in our second season. It was totally an experiment. We had absolutely no idea if anyone would listen other than my mother. And I love you, mom. Um, 
it has been so fun for me for a couple of reasons. First, a book takes forever to see the light. So it just takes a really long time to go from idea stage, rough draft through the editorial phase and actual publishing. Publishing. So, you know, I mentioned I signed a contract in May of 2022. The book will come out in early spring 2024. Gosh. So that's a very long experience. A podcast, <laughs> we record. My fantastic producer, Betsy, cleans it up, makes me sound far smarter and more organized than I am. Um, she doesn't do a lot of editing, but you know, she makes it sound, sound fantastic and makes all of the transitions sound good and put some cool music in there. And then it's out. It's so fast. It's so fun to have. It feels like a much more, um, just feels like we've all been to coffee together, which is what the hope is. So, um, I love that. And then I also just love being the person on the other side, you know, Every book, so if I've, I've done eight, and every one of those has had some sort of press publicity marketing plan. It changes with the weather. So a book that comes out today will be completely different the next year in, in terms of you know what the publishing team thinks would be a good idea. I've seen all sorts of things come and go from blog tours to podcast tours to social media stuff and whatever, speaking tours, book events. These things all come and go, and it's interesting to see which dart sticks on the board. But typically, I have been the one trying to talk about my own book in a public, you know, on a podcast or in an interview or writing an article or what have you. And so it's so fun for me to not be that person. It is so fun for me to talk to somebody else about their work and what they're up to. And also, I have such a heart for authors who have worked so hard in these books, the book comes out and within like six weeks, it's crickets. You know, there's, there's a huge push for that, you know, four weeks before six weeks after, even in, I remember learning that my book, you know, books go to Barnes and Noble, for example, they have pretty much a six week time frame to prove themselves. And they start pulling that stuff off the shelf because there's another round. So that's very disheartening for someone who's been working so many months. So for me, this is such a fun way to, for me to even just walk along my shelves and say, oh my gosh, I love that book. I would love to talk with that person. The book is five years old. I don't care. I, it's still a great book. So that's really fun for me to be on the other side um, and really wanting to hear um, the whole story. Lots of times if people do press junkets or press interviews, they're limited in scope, right? They're five to 10 minutes, or even if it's a full, you know, half hour interview, most of the time the interviewer doesn't actually read the book. Um, just because there's, I mean, typically those media outlets, there's just too many, right? Or they have people who have prepped them and given them a couple different, you know, talking points, but they don't really have a lot of engagement with the material. So I read the whole darn book. <laughs> I almost go insane because I have this, that podcast. And then I also do one called the writing room with Bob Goff, our mutual friend. Um, so I'm reading like my hair's on fire. Some weeks I'm doing like reading two books a week and then doing a bunch of coaching and reading those folks pages too. So there are seasons when I think, what was I thinking? I understand why people just have their five questions. Why don't I do that? But I just, I love it to be a space where I just interviewed someone a couple of weeks ago. And I had some pretty specific questions because I was so curious about some of the things that he wrote. And he emailed right afterwards and said, in all caps, you read the book. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yes, liked it. <laughs> so that's gratifying to me because I've, I've definitely been on the other side where about 15 seconds into the interview, you're, you think, oh, okay, you actually have never thought about any of this before this moment. And thank you for giving me a spot, right. To be able to talk about it, but the conversation's pretty shallow. So it's fun yeah. for me to keep her. Yes. Yes. So and be on both sides, have a little bit of everything. Right. So you've got the two podcasts and you're doing coaching and you've got another book coming out. That's, that's so great. Okay. So is there I'm an just curious. I, I, I don't know. I'm like, that, that's a lot of things. That is a lot of things happening. Oh, you know what? It's just one moment at a time. I'm at a point in my, you know, for years, I just wrote whenever the kids were at preschool or school or napping. And so um, I still have all of those beautiful full things in my mm -hmm. life. I fit the other stuff in um, as I can. And also my kids are older and able to understand, okay, this is a, this is a thing. 
this is, you know, she's busy and that's okay. I feel, I feel like a lot of moms just spend a lot of time wading in and out of the waters of guilt. And it's not even stuff that our kids or our spouses are saying. Um, it's just us. We have a soundtrack For in sure. our heads of what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be doing it. And so I'm grateful to be, first of all, married to a person who would only throw oxygen on every fire. Um, and also my kids are old enough that I can, you know, two daughters, especially that I, and I have a son, um, but the daughters are, I, I can feel, I can feel them watching a little bit more now and thinking, you know, I'm not too far away from having to figure some of these things out on my own. Um, and I, I like that. I like it that I can engage in those conversations and also say to them, you know, it's takeout tonight and hallelujah about that. Right. Yes. That. And I'm not going to feel one bit of guilt about that. Um, or, you know, whatever other plate that I'm spinning. Um, some of them have been painful to put down, right? If I can't go to all the things all the time, I travel quite a bit out to California for some writer's retreats that Bob and I do out at the Oaks. And those are so life-giving to me and I so enjoy them, but I've missed a couple things at school, um, concerts and what have you. And I mean, that has been a little brutal. I will tell you because for years I was at all the things. Um, but it's been interesting when I talk with my kids, they are not hurt. Mm. <laughs> they're, not, they're like, mom, you've it's been fine. at all the things. Great. Have fun in California. Pick me up an orange. Like they're not, they're not nearly <laughs> as hard on me as I am. And conversely, I am not hard on them. I try to remember how would I frame this with my kid? How would I say, what would I say to Anna if she were calling me and saying, gosh, I really feel bad about blank. I would be full of grace. I would hope I would, I would say you are being way too hard on yourself. So it's this constant process of trying to be as kind to me as I am to my own children. I'm way rougher on me. So that's so true. So is that what you would tell your younger self? Cause that's always a fun question for me to ask on the podcast is what would you tell your younger self? Is it just be kinder to yourself or is there anything else as a ambitious mom who has a lot of irons and a lot of fires? <laughs> just something you wish you could go back and just tell yourself. Yeah. I think that would be probably number one, right? There will be, um, seasons and that's good. You don't, I mean, kind of circling back to where we began, you don't have to have this entire there. You don't have to have a bullet point list. Um, there are going to, there will be peaks and valleys and that's okay too right? I mean, for writing, I wish I would have known earlier. Um, my job and probably any person in a creative pursuit or even in any work sphere, parenting, marriage, you do what you can, right? And a lot of the outcome, a lot of the result is completely out of your control. I, I think I probably knew that cognitively, but I mm -hmm. wish I would have really steeped my toes in that and known I'm doing all I can. And the sales, the outcome, the publicity, all the, all of that stuff, again, I will do what I can, but I'm not in charge of outcomes. It's horrible. It's horrible to know that. And also just such a gift. So I wish That's I would really have done that. And I really wish I would have probably, I, I do wish I would have, um, earlier in the game felt, um, felt more freedom to really, um, be who God has asked me to be instead of who I felt other people were asking me to be. That's, so good. That's a whole extra podcast, <laughs> but you know, we all have these ideas that we pick up and some of them are total hooey. And I think I held on to those. Um, and still I'm untangling some of those things now, but really going to the source and going to the God who made me and asking him, what, do, who do you say I am? What's your version of me? What are your adjectives? Okay, a beloved, pursued, a gift to the people, put exactly in the time and place where you should live according to Acts. Like I've got, I've got beautiful things to say about you, kiddo, and you are ignoring all of them. So That's I wish so I would good. much more time doing that, moving way farther back into those quiet moments with Jesus. That's actually the only thing. Um, I think that can help sustain good work um, and can, can sustain an abundant life. It's amazing how quickly I can decide that that's not the fuel. 
but I know it. I mean, this morning I sat on my couch and said out loud, Jesus, I am positive that I feel depleted right now because I've not, I've not been with you. Hmm. You have been on the periphery. I keep acting like, you know, you're an optional, you're here like a buddy, but I'm not actually spending time in pursuit. Um, that's a different game. That's a completely different ball game for the rest of my day when I do that. Um, so I wish I would have given myself, um, a kick in the pants for that. Just a sweet kick in the pants to say, that's not an indulgence, right? Of course, there are a million things outside of these, this door or in the kitchen seeing like there's a bunch of other stuff clamoring for attention, but really the only thing you absolutely need today is that time with the God who loves you with this stubborn, ferocious love that will change you in the most beautiful ways. You have to put yourself there. He's so ready to give it to you, but you have to move into that space on the daily. So I wish I would have known that. Ah, oh, so good. I feel like I just want to be a sponge. Just let all that soak in for a second and sink in and just absorb it. I think there's so much truth in that. And even just that idea that we have tangled, we're still untangling all of us. Right. We're all untangling things that we don't even realize we've wrapped around our thoughts and our energy and everything. And it's like, we're in this constant state of what else can I get rid of? What else right. can I let go of? What else can I use to remove so I can be more undistracted mm-hmm. and have that freedom to pursue? So good. You shared something the other day that you probably don't realize was super impactful, but it was super impactful when I heard you share this. And so I'm going to share it on this podcast so that other people get a chance to hear it. But you gave this visual of a checkerboard and I I interpret things in visuals. <laughs> so I can't remember the things I read on paper, but in the visual, if I've got it in my mind, it's there forever. You share just this idea of the checkerboard and that some days you're going to make half a move and some mm-hmm. days you're going to be able to move and some days you're going to be able to make big jumps. Mm-hmm. But whatever you can move today is a great move. Yeah. And I love that. I just love the idea of still being in the game. I think sometimes we just want to sit on the bleachers and let life happen. It's like, we got to be in the game, but just because you're in the game doesn't mean we're going to have to be living this constant big jump sleeps and moves. And so I wanted to share that with listeners because you shared that and I got to get a glimpse of you sharing that the other day. And that was really powerful and stayed with me. And I want other people to have that visual too. So thanks for that. Well, listen, takes one to do one. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I mean, I, that, I also think in, in visuals as well. And that is, that has been such a help to me to know my job today is not actually to win the game. That's not my job. Actually, that's never my job. My job is to push pieces ahead. Um, it, Bob and I actually, this came from a conversation with Bob years ago, our, our friend, Bob Goff, he, we were talking on the phone. I remember feeling the weight of um, if you've ever hung out with Bob, you know, he has roughly eight gazillion ideas in 14 minutes. <laughs> and so he had been sharing some of these with me and um, so fun. And just my brain was just on fire. And it was at a point in my life where I was kind of looking at all these different options and thinking, I think some of these are going to work. And um, I remember calling or he called one day and I said, there's too much on the, there's too much. I don't know. I don't know where to go. I don't know which one to tackle or how to, you know, kind of distill what's mine to hold. And he was the one who said, you know, in a given week, he looks at all the things that are on his, on his table. And every day he, he pays attention, um, in some way to those things. So he has about eight gazillion things on his plate, but he's very good at saying, okay, but here are the five that are really my heartbeat. And really, these are the things only I can do, right? That has been a shift for me. And the checkerboard just helps me think of it, right? We're just pushing that yes. piece, maybe it's a half a block a day. Maybe it's one square a day. You don't do all of the things all the days. You will die and you will make your family miserable and you will be miserable. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know where we get yes. that that we have to just like throw up the board and all the pieces have to win. King, you're ready. <laughs> it doesn't happen like that. And so for me, for example, super specifically, if I have um words to write and a podcast to book and one to record and, you know, coaching prep to do, 
I just move a little, I just move a little every day, right? Or even by the week, I do one square today and one square tomorrow. Otherwise you can start thinking, I'm not making any progress, right? We talked to a lot of writers who are hung up on, rightfully hung up a little bit on building an audience, right? Helping people know who they are. Do you have an email list? Do you have a social media following? All this just cranky stuff. Wow. <laughs> yes, that is my least favorite part of this job. Um, but that's been helpful for me as well. Am I going to grow an audience in 14 minutes? No. Do I even want that? Absolutely not. Can I plan a few things that I can give to my audience in the next seven days? Yep, I can do that, right? So that's been super helpful. If you start like Googling how to increase your platform, you'll want to poke out your eyeballs with toothpicks. But if you so don't go do the, that, don't do it, don't Google. But if you think of the checkerboard, one square, oh yeah, I can do a square. It's just helpful for me. And like you said, releasing the outcome, because I think we want to say, okay, if I move this score today, what score do I need to move tomorrow? And then what's going to be my strategy? <laughs> Right. The world's going to take you by surprise. The outcomes we cannot control. But right. like you said, kind of like you gave the visual of Bob having all these things yeah. on his on his table. Like think of it like the buffet table. Okay, but what's on my plate today? What are the things I can take today and do today that are within that ability that I have in this given day? So that is so good. That's so good. So much and so much encouragement. This is when so I many truths. That, when I forget it next week, I'll call you and you can tell me again. Please, I, I will remind you. Okay, good. <laughs> Replay this portion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Okay, well, I have one final question. This is my absolute favorite question because uh, I think there are a lot of people that are listening. Some are entrepreneurs, some are kind of in the corporate world, some are stay-at-home moms, and everybody has a different definition of success. And so I would love just to hear in all of your pursuits and also balancing motherhood, how do you define success today? Hmm. I'd say success. I mean, I'm a person who thinks about death. <laughs> so prepare yourself. Uh, I, I didn't know this was weird until very recently when I found out a lot of people <laughs> don't make their decisions with this comment first. On my deathbed, will I regret blank? I thought everyone did that. Apparently that's No, not we don't. Good. Okay. Yeah. Just learned it. <laughs> three months ago. I was like, wait, what? That's not how you think about decision making? Okay. So for sure- um, how I finish the race, um, that's top of the list, right? So I have things that God has handcrafted for me to do, and they are peppered with joy and fullness and all sorts of things that I will learn. Some of them will be really hard and some of them will just feel like skating. And I know that's all on the same you know, that's in the same basket. My, my idea of what will make me feel successful or what is true success to me is if at the end of it all, um, Jesus looks at me and I know he will, that's the thing. Like this is, this is a slam dunk. He looks at me and says, you are my kid. And I'm just so proud of you. Mm. He's already said that that is immovable. And so I would say for my part, just remaining, just keeping the softest heart toward him. Um, always remember that he's the giver of all the good things and living a life that encourages the, I, that word means to infuse courage. That is my hope. If it's my family, if it's folks on the other side of zoom, if it's in a podcast, if it's live speaking engagement, my hope is that I would be the courage girl, right? The grace girl that when I walk into a room, you do not care about how I did not do my hair right because I guarantee you that will happen. Um, or that I'm not you have wearing great hair, by the way. Pants. Great hair. Okay, thanks. Uh, but <laughs> I want, when I walk into the room, I want that, that whatever time we have together um, as a whole, right? The body of work. For people to think, yeah, she really, she really loved Jesus and she didn't do it perfectly. But man, I felt kind of a jolt of courage after we talked, wow. a jolt of remembering who I am um, after we talked. That would be the ultimate, the ultimate. I will really not do all of that well every day. <laughs> and you could ask my family if you are wondering how I'm doing. <laughs> That's the hope. That is the hope. Don't ever ask our kids anything. <laughs> 
you should, because I talked about my mom on this podcast. I think she's amazing. So eventually <laughs> we figure it out. It takes a minute. Said that full circle. Totally. Full circle, full <laughs> circle. Well, you have definitely infused courage today. You have been the courage infusion that we all needed today. So thank you for sharing all the courageous things you've done, but also encouraging all of us to continue just that, that daily pursuit. And yes, I've been super encouraged by this conversation and know that our, our listeners will be too. And, and hope that I get to hang out with you in person at some point Let's again soon. Let's do it. You know where to find me. Yes. Thank yes. Well, let's tell me. our listeners all the places that they can find you because there's so many different ways, depending on where they are in their own journey, that they can connect with you. So share some of the different ways so that people can find and think of that way that they would love to connect. Fantastic. So my website is KimberlyStewart.com. Um, S-T-U-A-R-T is my last name. Um, you can find me at Kimberly.Stewart.Writes on Instagram. That's probably the, the quickest. Um, or you can always email me. I'm all about, I'm old and I love correspondence. Kim at KimberlyStewart.com. Super easy to find. Much to the chagrin of my very private and introverted husband. I'm rather <laughs> easy to locate. So we had an introvert and an extrovert and some days it goes better than others. So great. And the two podcasts. Tell us the two podcasts. Oh, yeah, two podcasts. For Real with Kimberly Stewart that um, we launched our second season not too long ago. And then The Writing Room with Bob Goff and they alternate. So one week is one and the, the next week is the other. So every other week, something from every week, something comes out. So those are the two. And all you move the chip, out. you move your <laughs> little checker every week. Yep. Well, or people really help us move. We have a team of people helping with that. So let's not think that I'm doing all the work there. So, <laughs> Well, thank you, Kim. This has been such a treat. I love chatting with you. And I'm just excited to hear all that's to come before 2024 and in 2024 too. <laughs> Thanks, Annika. What a joy to hang out with you. Thanks so much for the invitation. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Kim. In case you missed any of today's truths and takeaways, here they are. Number one, our job isn't to win the game. Think of the checkerboard. It's simply to push pieces ahead. Number two, there is freedom in knowing that we can't predict or control the outcomes. Allow yourself to experience that freedom. Number three, sometimes our plans happen by accident, and that can actually be a beautiful thing. Number four, Inspiration is all around. Don't wait for perfection to find it. Know that you're not alone if you feel like you're constantly untangling. We're all still in states of untangling. Number seven, be where your feet are. And lastly, be the courage and encouraging person in the room and in other people's lives. I hope that you have walked away smiling and encouraged from today's conversation as I assured you of in the beginning. If you haven't already, would love for you to subscribe to the podcast. Take a few quick seconds to leave a review on Apple Podcast or share this conversation with a friend. Cannot wait to share the upcoming conversations with you. Until next time.